0: Hello everyone, thank you for joining us for our class on 1st and 2nd Peter. My name is Bob Lawrence, one of the Bible class teachers here at the Anchorage Church of Christ and I'm glad that you've chosen to join us. We're almost to the end of our series this semester going through 1st and 2nd Timothy. Today we turn back to the book of 2nd... Did I say Timothy? I didn't mean that. Let's start all over again. We're coming close to the end of our study of 1st and 2nd Peter uh, this quarter. Today we turn back to the book of 2 Peter, and if you'd like to take a Bible, turn there to 2 Peter chapter 1. And the other thing that you may need this week is a piece of paper and perhaps a notebook. For those of you that don't regularly take notes in Bible class or listening to a sermon, this might be a good week to pick up that habit or at least practice it, because we're going to be going over seven words, and I think it's helpful to just write these words down and then uh, take some time to really think about what these words mean. So I'll pause for just a minute, or you can hit pause on the video, and uh, go get you a a piece of notebook paper or a little notebook, wherever you would normally take notes, and uh, grab a pen or a pencil and paper. And then once you have it, Write down these eight words, and we're going to circle back to these here in just a minute in our reading. So here's the the eight words that we start class with today. Write these down in order. The first is the word faith. Second, write down the word virtue. Third, write down the word knowledge. Fourth, write down the word self-control. Five, write down the word Steadfastness. Number six, write down the word godliness. Number seven, write down the word brotherly affection or family affection. And then word number eight, write the word love. Now, if you really want to get ahead, take those same words, take a minute, write them down again, but write them in an ascending order where you put faith at the bottom and love at the top and all of the other words in between. And I think you'll see why in just a minute. Well, this week I brought you to uh, a Greek type of setting. And this specifically is the marketplace or the Stoa. Uh, You might remember when Paul went to Athens, he was in the marketplace arguing with the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. Way back in this day and time, the place that you would hold a class, whether it was a school class or a modern day uh, religious type of class, it would it would normally be, hold, be held by the teacher uh, in a marketplace area underneath a porch that was lined by all of these columns. And these this area was called the stoa. And so if you were a student of one of the teachers who learned in the stoa, you might be called a stoic. And there were other philosophers too, like the Epicureans and and others. Some said they followed Plato, some Socrates, some Aristotle, but all of them shared in common from this period of time an understanding of what they called the virtues. And this is important to understand as we get in today's reading is that Peter is writing this letter in a day and time when, for several hundred years, people understood and talked about uh, these concepts or these characteristics that were called virtues. And the idea was that for a person to be well-rounded, they would not only know what, what was the right thing to do, but they would have practiced doing the right thing. And so the philosophers talked about developing these things called virtue. And what's really interesting is that these very words that you're going to read in today's Passage are words that come from this language of the Stoa or this language of the philosophers of the uh, first century BC and even into the first century AD. And they're words like faith and virtue and knowledge or self control or perseverance or words like godliness and brotherly affection and love. All of these were words that people would have used in their discussion of what it meant to be a virtuous person. But something amazing happens in this passage. And I want you to watch what Peter does with these very words. It's as if he reaches into the language of his day and he takes these words and he baptizes them. He gives them a Christian meaning or he hangs on these words, the deepest and real meaning. Uh, for each of those words. And in doing so, he describes not what it's like to be a good philosopher. Instead, he describes what it means to be a child of God. Remember that 2 Peter is written as a reminder. Peter picks up his pen and he writes this letter saying, you've heard for hundreds of years that the prophets have said, that one day God will come back and he will make the world right again. He will get rid of evil in the world and he will make things right. And so Peter talks about having a faith, a firm conviction in that rightness of God. And the fact that God will make things right again. And many of the statements that he makes in 2 Peter is answering our questions about when is he going to do this? How do we know this is true? And why is it taking Why is it taking so long? And you read that last week as we read through 2 Peter. Well, Peter is reminding us that God is going to make the world right again. And as he makes the world right again, he is making individuals right again. And Peter is going to say in this passage that God is making you to look like one of his children. And so watch for the the verse that says that God is giving you a chance to partake in his divine nature. That's a way of saying he's making you to look like one of his children. And then look how Peter grabs each of these words that we just talked about and how he says this is what you look like when you are made into one of God's children. Well, let's see how Peter actually says this in second Peter chapter one, beginning verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence or his own glory and virtue by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. And self-control... ...with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins... Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Well, that's quite a charge, and that's the charge that will be our lesson for today. And I'm going to leave you with that passage, uh, with how Peter gives us this charge to become like those who are partaking in the divine nature, a, a way of saying Uh, Be like those who are being made to look like one of God's children. And then he gives us the qualities of what that's like. And then he gives us this charge that if you put these qualities into practice, continue to practice them, you will never fall. So what are those seven qualities that you add to faith? Let's talk about each of those words briefly and then I'll leave you with the passage. Well, the word faith It's important to remember in Peter's day and time did not mean wishful thinking. It didn't mean believing something in spite of not having evidence for it. It wasn't a a wishful hope. Uh, Faith meant the firm conviction in the truth of something because you had seen the evidence. If you were in a court-type setting and you uh, you heard a case being argued and you heard both sides of the case... And by listening to the evidence, you decided this is what is true. You would say, I have been given faith in what really happened. In a modern sense, we would say that you have confidence in something because you've seen the evidence played out. If there was a scientific research study performed, you've seen the evidence of that. And you have a firm conviction in the conclusions because you've seen the evidence. And the ancients would say, that's what faith is. It's the firm conviction in something. And so Peter says, to this firm conviction that you have in the truth of God's rightness, in the knowledge of how he's making the world right again, to that faith, add virtue. And the word virtue here doesn't just mean being morally right or doing things that are morally good. That's how it might sound in a modern context. In the ancient world, virtue were qualities that you developed out of practice, by habit, by doing things over and over and over again until you got it just right. And so the idea would be uh, that we all know that it's wrong to lie, but that doesn't mean that a person is honest if they don't lie. In other words, the idea of being honest is more than just avoiding lying. It means by habit, by repetition, by training, With every question you're asked, you learn to tell the truth. You develop the virtue of honesty so that when put to the test and someone asks a question, what comes out of your mouth automatically is the truth because you are honest. And that's developing the virtue of honesty. And that's true of all the virtues, whether you're talking about telling the truth or showing kindness or avoiding Uh, violence or hate or practicing justice and uh, all the things that might be considered a virtue, those come with time by practice and by training. And so Peter reaches into that bag and he says, to your faith in the rightness of God, add virtue and to virtue, add knowledge So notice that he's building these kind of like stepping stones to something higher. To your faith, add virtue. To virtue, add knowledge. And this could just mean general knowledge. Using your brain to study and to learn specifically about God's world, the way he's made it, the way he's making the world right again. But in the context of 2 Peter, he's saying, develop a knowledge, not in a subject, but in a person. And you'll see this several times throughout the book of 2 Peter. You develop your knowledge of jesus christ in other words it's a knowledge of him it's the development of a relationship with him and so to your faith add virtue to virtue add knowledge and to knowledge he says you add something else self-control did you know that self-control is the one thing that sets you apart as a human being separate from any other living thing on the earth you know a dog if it sees a cat run by, cannot help but chase the cat, that is its nature, and unless the dog is trained to stay where it is, to stay put, it will always uh, chase the cat. It's, it has an instinct you know, to chase. All wild animals have this sense of chasing something that they see running by, uh, and the dog does not have the ability to impose on its own a form of self-law or a rule on itself. It takes a tremendous amount of training and external influence for a dog to be trained not to follow its instinct. But not true of you. You have the ability that is not found in anywhere else in the animal kingdom or any, uh, in any other living thing. You have the ability to act against an internal impulse. If you see something that looks like it would be tasty or inviting or desirable, you have the ability to say, I'm not going to follow that impulse. And so the ability to act against the impulse, whether it's an impulse to consume a food, or a beverage, or to follow the sexual impulse, or to act on an impulse of hate, or to act on the impulse of greed, you have the ability as a human being to act against that impulse and do something that is not or does not feel like instinct. And that's the word that's used here when Peter says, add to your knowledge this practiced ability to act against an impulse, to practice self-control. And it doesn't stop there. Peter says, not only do you develop this ability to act against an internal impulse, he says you also learn to resist an external influence. And that's the next word that he uses. He says uh, to add to your, to self-control, you add steadfastness and some versions might use the word perseverance, but both of those words mean the same thing that just as uh, self-control is acting against an internal impulse to be steadfast or to persevere is to not be influenced or changed. From doing what's right by an external influence, by some type of peer pressure or political pressure or influence from the outside. In fact, some people translate that verse as being enduring resistance, meaning that you, as a follower of Christ, as a person who's being made to look like Jesus, you are able to stand against an internal impulse, but also any external influences. You have your eyes clearly set on following God and being being made right. So, quick review. We start with faith. And he says, To your faith, add virtue. And to virtue, add knowledge. And to knowledge, add self-control. And to self-control, now add perseverance or steadfastness or this, uh, this enduring resistance. And then, once you have compiled those traits and those qualities and practiced those characteristics... He says, add godliness. Now, the word godliness here doesn't just mean uh, to be like God or to follow God's type of characteristics. What he's saying here is that you, you practice those behaviors that allow you to draw closer to God. The word here is sometimes translated as the word pious. And so this would be things like, say your prayers, read scripture personally and alone, spend time with the Lord, you sing hymns uh, to God, you spend time with others who are following Christ, you practice benevolence and you practice hospitality. These actions that are considered to be pious or good or actions that help draw you to God, that's what you add to this resistance on external influence. So you add to steadfastness, godliness. And to your godliness, add brotherly affection. Or you might translate that if you don't have brothers, but you have sisters, then it could be sisterly affection. Or the word really just means family type affection. So brotherly affection just means a family type of affection, the type of love that you have for people in your own family, regardless of their personality, regardless of uh, your past experiences with individuals in your family, regardless of uh, whether or not you are uh, similar in terms of your uh, interests. You love people in your family because you're together. You have a common purpose and, uh, and you are, have a common, a common history. And you share something that nobody else in the world shares because you're family. And Peter says that's true for you in regard to everybody else who is a follower of Christ You have this family connection, and you act on that. And he says you add to all of these other qualities, you add this affection that you have for other followers of Christ. And then to that quality, you add the final uh, icing on the cake, the most important characteristic, the most important virtue of all. You add love. And specifically, the love here is the word agape. Though there are many different types of love that probably or more like things that we like, or things that we're drawn to, or things that we have an impulse to to enjoy. This word is the highest form of love. Agape means a lay-your-life-down kind of love for someone else. Uh, The best definition of love I've ever heard is that uh, agape means to give without asking. It means to lay yourself, your interest, your wants, and everything that you have down without asking. Ever asking for something in return. And notice what Peter does. He says that that quality of love is the quality, it's the quality of God. And notice how Peter says that comes at the end of a growing, developing, blossoming process that began with your faith, your faith, your firm conviction in the truth of God making the world right. And to that is added virtue. And to virtue is added knowledge and knowledge, self-control and to self-control, this enduring resistance and to enduring resistance, godliness and to godliness, a brotherly or a family affection. And to that affection is added love. And so we come to the end of that and we have this picture that Peter has given us. He, he's, It's like he borrowed all these words from a, a Greek academy and he puts them together and he gives them their their deepest, most true christ-centered meaning and he says for you this is not a buffet that you just choose and pick which quality you would like on any given day unlike the ancient world for you these qualities are about about a growing and developing follower of christ and so he brings to mind this idea of perhaps a stair step in which you're walking from one quality up higher to the next Or think of an onion where these different layers are laid on top of each other. Or think of it like a sandwich being made where each quality is laid down and it's not until the whole sandwich is together that you get the full taste of the the sandwich or the meal. That's the idea that Peter gives us here is that each of these qualities are a small piece of the qualities that God is developing in you as a full follower of Him. And then notice how Peter ends today's part of the passage when he says that if a person does not have these qualities, then they are nearsighted to the point of being blind because they have forgotten that God has forgiven them from past sins. Their growth has stopped. But if you have these qualities and they are increasing, he says, if these qualities in you are growing, you will never fall. And the Greek word that's added at the end of that, which they try to capture in their translation, is the word ever. Think about that. Peter says, if you have these qualities and they're increasing, you will never fall ever. Those are the qualities that God is developing in you. Well, that's our class this week. I wanted to introduce you to that charge that that Peter gives us, give you a taste for the different words that he uses. But the most important part is what happens next when you will take time, open up this passage and just read those, those opening lines of 2 Peter uh, chapter uh, 1, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through about verse 11 and, and allow that message of Peter to just wash over you and then take time today. Uh, with the people who are there with you uh, studying today and go through each of these eight different terms that Peter uses and talk a little bit about what do these words mean and how do we apply that quality and develop that quality in our world today. Well, may God bless you. May God bless the reading of his word. And I will see you next week.